listening to the Retail Razor Show, where your expert hosts and their guests cut through the clutter in retail and retail tech to shape the future of retail. Hello, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, no matter what time of day you're listening. Welcome, welcome to Season 1, Episode 6 of the Retail Razor Show. I'm your host, Ricardo Belmar, a Rethink Retail top retail influencer and lead partner marketing advisor for retail and consumer goods at Microsoft. And I'm your co-host, Casey Golden, CEO of Luxlaw, obsessed with the relationship between a brand and a consumer. I've spent my career on the fashion and supply chain technology side of the business, slaying frightening stacks. So for this week, we're changing the pace a bit. This episode, the Retail Avengers fly solo, so to speak, sounds guest, and specifically, Jeff Roster joined me for the first part of the discussion, uh, and then you joined us, Casey, to talk about the future of digital transformation and innovation in retail. This is part one of a two-part discussion, and for this week, we focused on understanding the challenges in corporate culture for retailers. The pandemic really changed the situation for retailers around innovation and digital transformation, Ricardo. Corporate cultures have changed down to the DNA of their organizations. Yeah, that's so true, Casey. And one area that's really introduced a massive change in that DNA and culture is in the IT budget. And we're not talking about how much retailers spend on infrastructure or keeping the lights on with all their legacy systems. No, we're talking about the amount of budget spend on just pure innovation and transformation. Successful retailers have really turned the corner on how much they spend on this. And even more importantly, they've overcome their fear to experiment. And you and Jeff really get into that a bit more. Definitely, definitely. So let's jump into the Clubhouse discussion, and then we'll come back here and recap a bit. Plus talk about what really stands out to us from the whole discussion. Sounds good. So before we get caught up in one of my favorite conversations, money, let's listen to the Retail Avengers versus the Trials of Digital Transformation and Innovation. Welcome, everybody, to the Retail Razor Room. I'm here with my fellow retail Avenger, Jeff Roster. Jeff, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself? So, Jeff Roster, former Gartner and, and IHL retail sector analyst, now on a bunch of advisory boards and uh, doing a podcast this week in innovation and rolling with Ricardo at uh, Retail Tech Predictions 2025. All right. Thanks, Jeff. And for anybody that doesn't know in the audience, I'm Ricardo Belmar. I've been a, a longtime retail tech guy at a different technology providers and service providers to the retail industry, and now currently with Microsoft as a partner marketing advisor in the U.S. So let's get rolling into our topic for today. We are going to talk about the future of digital transformation and innovation uh, in retail and retail tech out towards 2025. And if you're wondering why we picked this topic, well, for one, as you might guess from the title of Jeff's podcast, This Week in Innovation, it's a, a topic near and dear to our hearts that we often find ourselves in conversations. If you've been to our rooms in the past and you've heard from the other members of our team, uh, you know, we all have a relationship with retail tech in some way, and we're always interested in the future of innovation in this industry, which it's probably safe to say doesn't have the greatest history of being innovative in the past, but I would argue that in recent years, that's been dramatically changing. Would you agree, Jeff? Well, given I started in 2000 when um, literally little to talk about, I mean, every, every day now there's something new. Uh, if you look at what's happened with, with artificial intelligence, blockchain, all that, it's every single day. You know, there's five, six, 10, 15 articles to go through. Just right, right. an amazing, amazing amount of updates. Yeah, I, I agree. I forget where I've seen this, but uh, and I'm sure you've seen it too. If you just look at the sheer number of retail tech startups that are popping up now, 
this is a really hot market. There are retail tech startups in just about every conceivable space of technology that's relevant to a retailer, including ones that maybe weren't thought of as little as a year or two ago. I'll just give one, one example that I find myself talking about a lot uh, lately, and that's in the whole area of returns management. And, it, and in some cases, even what I'll call return prevention analysis, you could say that uh, the rise of e-commerce has perhaps inflated the whole returns processing challenge for retailers. But I think that's a really interesting area now where there's a lot of new technology coming up and a lot of new retail tech startups trying to address this problem and make it easier uh, and therefore lower cost to handle returns. You know, my podcast partner, Brian, and I think there's probably well over multiple thousands of retail sector startups. We're counting them in the thousands. Yeah, in, in the thousands. I'm actually not surprised by that number. I am. I, it's a, it's <laughs> a lot of... <laughs> that's a lot of money. That's a lot of people. But, you know, if you just look at anybody that touches AI and they, and they put retail in their title, and that sort of explains it. How many are really hardcore won't be successful? No, that's a, that's a different question, right? Yeah. Number. Yeah. That, that's a different question. You, you know, an, an interesting aspect to that, that I like to look at is where all of these new tech startups, regardless of what aspect of, of retail technology they're addressing, there's a difference in who they're targeting, right? Are we looking at thousands of startups that are targeting tier one retailers, or are we looking at thousands of startups that are distributed across targeting tier one retailers down to, you know, small business retail owners? Yeah. So typically, I don't know that I, I mean, no one's ever really asked that question or surveyed that group. It, it's a pretty hard group to even survey since we're not even sure how many there are. It just, you know, it's going to be a great question. I'm going to ask that going forward, but in the conversations I'm having more and more, it's usually... When I ask what segmentation, it's usually, they say retail and, you know, of course, being an analyst, it drives me insane. So tier one, tier two, tier three, tier right, four, right. not a whole lot of startups are saying, I want to go out, you know, tier four, tier five. It's all almost exclusively tier one, tier two. Right. And depending on your definition, I don't know, Ricardo, if you have a different definition than I do, but tier one's greater than a billion, you know, tier two is 999 million to 250 million and tier three is 250 to 50. And that's, that's the segmentation I've used for 20 years. Yeah. So you yeah, could probably make the case I need to bump up tier one to like a super tier one, whatever, but it's, it's still a, a massive number. And literally I can't think of a startup that's really going after tier four or tier five. It's, that would be a pretty tough go for a startup. They're all, they're all trying to, they're all trying to go for the sweet. Yeah. It, it, it's a scaling issue, right? For, for a startup is, you know, you want to maximize my, the size of my first few customers, right? To keep the business going. And, and scaling to that was the small business set, right? Where you're talking about, you know, each, you're going to spend just as much time working to sell that two-store retailer as you are that tier one retailer. Yeah. And so what you see with startups just getting started, you see founders really being the lead salespeople. Right. And right. if you're trying to establish a business and try to be your lead salesperson, that is a really tough call to call on, you know, hundreds of tier you know, two yeah, or three. That's true. Far, far better to work with tier one, tier two. And you're seeing retailers that are, are investing in startups. So you can look at what Ulta Cosmetics is doing. It's just, it's right. just phenomenal. I, obviously, Walmart's been, it's been doing that forever and Amazon and Target. So you, you're seeing, you can see probably five or six, eh, probably probably 20 retailers that are aggressively investing in start the startup community, let alone just, just buying service, but literally investing in them. And yeah. that trend we expect to see really continue, probably accelerate. And that's, that's an interesting one to me because one of the things I hear most often from retail tech startups I've talked to is the difficulty in finding that, that early investment and, and the right amount of investment for them to really fulfill the vision they have for the technology and the solution that they're 
developing. So I, I find it fascinating to see these larger retailers, like the, the Ulta example you gave, for example, because sure, Walmart, Amazon, those guys have been doing this for a while, that we're branching down now into other retailers who are realizing my best bet may be to invest in these retail tech startups rather than looking for that clean, polished solution that's been in market for five years, that I'm going to hope that I, I can talk to at least three other retailer friends of mine who have already implemented this. I'm going to take the chance and invest in this one because I think their vision matches and aligns with what we need. And we'll be the ones to help them bring that solution forward. Well, there's several incubators that are, that clearly that's their strategy. And I, I fall, yeah, I think a little, little careful with some of my friends at some of the larger uh, software providers, but who would probably argue with me, but I am telling you, there is a lot of innovation happening. Yeah. We're seeing it more and more and more with uh, retailers letting some of these startups get in and, and they're literally building tech to spec. So I, you know, I think it's, I think it's really interesting. And then I think we'll see more and more retailers actually acquiring a startup, bringing that tech inside. Yeah. Yeah. We've seen that. Which happen is a too. whole yeah. nother area yeah. too. Yeah, I, I agree. So here's what I think is really interesting and kind of going back to what I asked earlier about the segmenting of this and the targeting of this, because I often see many of these technology solutions as sort of an an equalizer in a sense that if I'm that small retailer, if I have the resources to adopt some of these solutions, it may have the effect of putting me on more equal footing to my bigger retail competitors, because it's going to give me capabilities that by virtue of my being small, I, I can probably get them up and running faster than some of my larger counterparts that have too big an organization to move quickly enough. And that might give me an advantage, at least even if I'm a local retailer, for example, it gives me an advantage in my local community competing to those big national brands because I can deploy these things faster and get moving on them faster and reap the benefits of those technologies at a much quicker pace. Yeah, so I wouldn't disagree with that, but you also have the right DNA. You have to have uh, a senior leadership team that says, I'm okay with this experimentation. And the ones that are successful, Walmart, certainly, Target, absolutely. Ulta, absolutely. Probably Sephora. I don't know them quite as well. There's, there's just a difference. They, they are very senior leadership. Now, not the technology people, but senior leadership are very, very acceptable of, or accepting of experimentation, risk. Let's throw the dice to a certain degree. We think we can get a big bank for it. And that's what I've been screaming about for 20 years, that we're in an industry that needs to embrace that. It's completely unacceptable to, to say every technology project has to be successful. You cannot do it. And I think we're finally getting to that point. And we're seeing clear examples of retailers that, that are aggressive with tech are winning at the, at, the, at the cash register. And that's only going to accelerate. And I, I do think we're going to see a, a massive split off of retailers that are trying to play too, too safe and too comfortable. Um, I'm not going to use the uh, the A word. I'm not going to use the apocalypse word, but I mean, yeah. yes, they're self-selecting. You know, they're yeah, I agree. Zebra on, on the on the Savannah. Yeah, I think if there's anything that uh, the, all of these retailers should have come away from the pandemic with is this understanding that I can't just let things happen to me, right? I, I need to be more proactive. And when it comes to the technology, I need to always be searching and looking to understand what's out there. What can I use to solve a challenge? And what can I use that's going to make my customer experience better. Yep. hundred percent. And I think that's just going to accelerate it. Cause if you look at the technology that really were game changing for retail, BOPUS, and we've been talking about BOPUS for what, at least, I don't know, Cardo five, uh, yeah, years now, right? Uh, just, yeah. Just exploded contactless payments, every, everything that we were around, we talked a little bit about it and we made noise. I mean, they were on hype cycles and all that good stuff. And all of a sudden we have literally a catastrophic event and technology yeah. that we all sort of 
whisper and I didn't whisper at, but talked about. Yeah. And, well, I, and, and I think that the, I, we're not going back. Absolutely. And, and I think maybe the point there was, you're right. We've, we've been talking about it. Retailers were talking about it. That there just wasn't the sense of urgency to move quickly. And I, I think one of the positive things to come from that is that now where projects like this would have in the past would have been looked at as, oh, this is going to be take at least six to nine months to deploy across all our stores. Right. And now you have people saying, well, let's see, in 2020, we got that done in six weeks, not six months. So maybe that means we can do these things quickly. We don't have to take six months to get something done. And, and even more so now we can say, well, we got 80% of it done in six weeks. We knew we still had another 20% to go, but we put it out there. We saw it had impact. It, it was all positive impact. And by iterating on it, we learned that we can improve it incrementally and eventually get to the 100% we wanted to originally, but we didn't have to wait six months to do it. We spent the six months incrementally improving it and customers were getting the benefit from it up front and right away. And you'll probably be too polite to say it, but I think two, two words really had a big thing to say with that. Clearly the cloud, the fact that we were so, you know, yeah. it have, have moved so far down the cloud road allowed that mm -hmm. uh, rapid, rapid acceleration. In other words, low code. I yeah. think, you know, I think we saw some really interesting examples yeah. of retailers been able to do something in six weeks that 10 years ago would have been six, you know, six months, maybe five right. years. Right. Um, and exactly. And, and Ricardo, the, the final thing, and, I, and I've got to be careful because I'm on the wrong side of this age curve, <laughs> but we've always talked about, at least I've talked about the last 15 years, that there has to be a certain point where, where CIOs have to become very, very comfortable with what used to be, we used to call consumer technology and not expect everything to be dialed. And I think we're, I think if you're looking at, you know, the CIOs that are successful, they're sort of fitting a, a demographic that says we're more comfortable experimenting with technology. We don't need to have it dialed the way, the way I came up in. You're, you're a young guy, so you didn't have that. But certainly, you know, guys you know, that have been around a while that weren't comfortable with that risk. So you just had, you had probably six variables that all came together to see this acceleration. Yeah, I think, I think survival you're right. Survivability. Survivability. I mean, what? Yeah. Yeah. No, I think, I, I think you're right. And, and absolutely, there's, there's no doubt that, uh, the maturity of the cloud, I'll put it that way, right? Is a, sort of the nice way of saying it. It's not just that the cloud's been available for a while, right? And we've had, there have been retailers leveraging the cloud for, for many years now, but I think the cloud maturity level is finally recognized in, in retail that it's at the point where I don't have to treat that as consumer technology and, and think the worst of it or think that it's not ready for prime time. I can look at it now and say, yes, we can build enterprise grade solutions and we can deploy things that are reliable enough and consistent enough that I can do it quickly and get the same result of what used to take me six months to build out an infrastructure. Yeah, and, absolutely. And I'm kind of hoping that's what uh, NRF 2022 is going to be. It's just a celebration of all the yeah. crazy, cool projects. Right, right. Hopefully, hopefully. We Ho hopefully highlighting what's possible, right? Let's talk about what's possible that we used to think wasn't possible and what technologies are enabling those possibilities. And one, one side effect I, I see to this, and I think you, you've talked about this before too, once you embrace that, the digital transformation, the innovation in retail takes you to the cloud, we see a shift in spend, right? So the amount of spend that you needed to sustain big infrastructure, big internal infrastructure that you used to require to do these kind of big projects and, and transformational technologies, by shifting them to the cloud, it's also shifted the spend level, which means now I don't have to ask for the same amount of dollars I needed before. I can now spread those dollars on more projects because I freed up some of that spend that would have gone just to keeping the lights on, on really heavy grade, big iron infrastructure that now it's all gone in the cloud. So I don't need to spend that anymore. I can put it on more 
directly experiential things that I couldn't do before. Yeah. You know, that's always been my, um, that whole innovation question has always been my, I don't know, my Achilles heel. When I had to drive forecast Gartner, we had our models, we had our, our IT spend. And I kept wondering, gosh, how are we ever going to transform this industry when, you know, transformational spend was probably five, six, 7% at max of an right. IT budget. 50% right. was infrastructure. Yeah. All the, you know, 50% non-differentiating infrastructure. And I, I just wondered how in the heck is this going to happen? And then, then, you know, then the cloud came along and all of a sudden, if I can take 20 or 30% of that 50% spend and just free that up, my gosh, that, that's a lot of, a lot of mobile point of sale. And that's a lot of, you know, in-store technology. And I think that's exactly what we're seeing. Now I haven't dug, I don't have to dig into those kinds of numbers anymore, but it'll be interesting to see if we can, you know, some of the other analyst firms are still serving that can, can sort of document that, that transformation right, out of right. infrastructure and into transformational spend. We know it intuitively, we can see it. I mean, you can see the evidence of it. Right. And we'll see if it's, if it's long lasting. And I think it is. I, I think so too. I, I think we're going to see this, this, uh, as a trend now that, that, that shift in the spend, I think we'll see two things and one, I think the shift will be longer lasting, but I think we'll see increase in spend. I think we've seen so far this year, there's been an overall IT spend increase. If I were to predict, is that going to sustain between now 2025 is every year going to show the same level of increase in IT spend. I think each year will increase. I want to say, well, I forget what the numbers were. I've seen what was being expected for this year, but will it be as much next year? Maybe, maybe not. I, I don't think that matters as much necessarily as the fact that it is going to keep increasing. But I think more important is the shift in spend, you know, to your point where it used to be 50% infrastructure and it won't need to be 50% anymore. That frees up more spend that can apply to innovation and, and new things that can be done. New iterations, it, 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 even if it's of existing things that have been done, those new iterations and the spend on that is going to incrementally improve things uh, all around. Yeah. All the numbers I've seen so far, the survey work that's public, you know, IHL is saying, I think it's five or 6%. Uh, yeah. I want to say five to 7% overall. is what I remember. The uh, RSV study, I think it was four to 6%. Mm -hmm. So that's one, that's one component. And the other thing too, though, is we moved to the cloud. If we can, and this isn't not going to help uh, make my services buddies happy, but for every dollar of software license. It's four to five dollars of implementation. We can move out mm -hmm. of that low code. It's a great opportunity to cut some of that integration spend down. I mean, there's just I mean, there's fifteen twenty percent of an IT budget that's just right for transforming from just really just core non differentiating into into transformation. And I think that's what that's probably going to be the big story of twenty twenty two and twenty three. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I think that that's very true, and it's going to be about what technologies that shift and spend is going to enable. And I know we've, we've been making a lot of uh, store level examples, but e even if I think of digital areas, whether it's just in plain e-commerce, right? And what things you can improve on your website, I'm sure this will come as no shock to you, Jeff, when, when I say that retailers highlight in the fact that all of the digital investments they've been making and how that's paying off for them and how they're all going to be a digital first omni-channel retailer going forward, driven by data and analytics and I chose those words specifically because I can say that there were multiple retailers that use those exact words. They can use whatever words they want. Yeah, let's see the action. I, I love the, yeah. the press release that Target put out that I read to you, what, a couple of weeks ago, I'm looking for it now, where they just basically just slammed the football in the end zone and said, oh, hey, yeah. 95%, 95%, a, a direct, direct quote, 95% of our revenues from is related to the store. Right. And so, yep. you know, simple. You, yep. and what that means, let's see, what is it? 
more than 95% of Target's fourth quarter sales were fulfilled by its stores. That's a direct quote from the press release. Mm-hmm. And so what that means is that does not mean 95% was done in the store. That's that bobits, that's uh, buying line shift, uh, shift from the store, all of the above. And there was no silly words there. That, that was right. good fashion flocking and packing. And I love that. Yep, I think that's, absolutely. that's probably the greatest yep. press release I think I've, I've ever seen. How clean yeah, that was. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I, I demonstrated that work. I absolutely love that one. And in fact, as I'm looking through uh, some of the folks in the audience who I had a conversation with earlier today, I was using Target as an example because I, I look at that outcome that you just read out from their press release. I, I would draw the dots back to when they first started doing Target drive-up, right? Their curbside pickup, which to be fair, they started that not during the pandemic. They already had things in motion to do that long before uh, anybody had heard of COVID to implement that as an additional convenience service because Target had already been moving in this direction of store-based fulfillment. But if you were to ask the question, is curbside in and of itself digital transformation? Is that really innovative and transformative? And, and I would answer that if I look at Target as an example, the transformational component of it isn't curbside by itself. It's how that enabled them to achieve that 95% fulfillment from stores number that you just read in their press release. That to me is really powerful and transformative. And it's even better than that. It's the, the transformation is the DNA in the organization to say, let's start experimenting way ahead of the end. Let's understand what it takes to do it and how do we execute it? And then all this nightmare that we've all lived through descends on the world. And some retailers said, we're ready to go and let's, let's go. And others faltered. And that will be the, that will be the story along with all the tragedy. There's, there's some, there's some amazing stories and it's, it's all about the DNA and, and it's got to go up to the CEO. They have to be comfortable operating in an environment where their technology people can experiment and yeah, we absolutely. have to get away from this. And I think we are, right? there's still plenty of examples, but, but I'm seeing more and more and hearing more and more from tech executives say, you know, I'm, I'm getting the green, I'm increasingly, I'm getting the green light and stories like, you know, the, this target press release. And right. Martin Amazon just really adds fuel to the fire. You have to, you don't have to spend big to experiment, but you have to have a different DNA. And that's, that's right. the shift I think that we all need to really, at least those of us in the, in the communication business really need to push going forward. You don't have to be fancy, but you have to, you have to be innovative. Yeah. And, and you're right. It does require that experimentation mentality and realization that uh, you, you don't need any one of these things to be a silver bullet. What you're really looking for is how many new innovative things can I do and manage and produce a positive outcome that moves the business forward. I, I think that's a, a corporate culture kind of approach that is starting to build and, and we see more and more that we didn't see before. And I think that's something that is going to have a, a tremendous impact in how technology gets used by retailers going forward. You, you've probably sat in as many different sessions as I have about how do we, how do we empower our, our leadership teams, our tech teams? Well, you got to let them take credit. You got to let them get up and be able to talk about basic technologies and not think everything is so super secret. It's, it's been right. a curse for this industry. Every other industry, when I sat at Gardner, my colleagues in my practice were in manufacturing, we're in healthcare, we're in financial services. And when I talked to those analysts, they couldn't believe the fact that it was so hard for a retailer to be able to say anything about anything. Right. I mean, we right. really probably the only industry that, that so penalizes technology executives. Yeah. Go look at the old uh, Gartner symposiums. You never saw a retailer there because they right. could come and talk. They right. Didn't say anything. Right. And that, that has to change. I'm not saying you give up your secret sauce, but I'm not sure talking about a, a Bofus project is really that big of a deal at this point. 
but allowing your team to take credit for it and to stand up on a national stage and say, this right. is what we did and this is how we executed it. Right. And here's the result. And here's the result. Come on. Yeah, I, I completely agree. You're absolutely right that that has been lacking over the years in retail. I love seeing that when you see it posted now. In fact, I'll give some credit. So I think Tractor Supply is really good at that. I've seen many times where I'll find even in social media, like on LinkedIn or on Twitter, I'll see a post from an exec at Tractor Supply highlighting everybody who's on the team, this wonderful new project they just finished. They rolled it out to all, you know, 15, 1800 store locations and how massive an impact it's had. And everyone celebrates that. And you see the hundreds of people that click the like button on that one because they see the impact and the result. There's no reason to be afraid to talk of these things. I look at this and I say this to people and say, what are you afraid of actually? Because if what you're thinking is you're giving away the fact that you're considering this technology, I'll say to someone, let's think of that through though, because there are a dozens of people providing that technology, right? You're, you're now in a position where you're trying to evaluate from dozens down to maybe three to get to one. Do you think maybe there are other retailers, even some who compete with you in the same categories that are also evaluating the same 12 technology vendors, trying to get down to three, to get down to one, to a deployment? The fact is you're not alone. These are not things that you're looking at in a vacuum and that no one else out there knows exists. That's not where you're going to get your advantage from. You're going to get your advantage from the results produced by having this technology deployed if you do it right, which means that the, uh, the differentiator for you as a retail brand comes from how you execute it and how successfully you deploy it. And everyone deploys it somewhat differently because every retailer is not cookie cutter. One is different from the next. But the fact that you both use the same technology platform to roll out curbside pickup, that's really not a problem. You're not going to lose anything because someone realizes that, oh, these two retailers use the same technology partner for that. That's okay. It's okay to collaborate. I mean, let's go one step further. We're both participating in, in activities that are, are designed to be sort of a neutral environment where retailers and technology providers, startups, everybody in the ecosystem can come together and collaborate on how to address these business challenges. It's okay to do that. And I think you're absolutely right that historically, this was not an industry that wanted to do that, that wanted to be that collaborative. But I always find it surprising that as big an industry as retail is, when you get down to the people that are making these decisions and, and evaluating these technologies, it tends to feel like a small world because you, you do tend to run into, if you've been in the industry long enough, you run into the same people from time to time, people move around, they go to different organizations, but there's no reason not to collaborate on the core pieces and understanding how you address the challenge. You may have a different detail in how you solve it, even if you're solving it in the same way as the next retailer, but trying to keep it a secret is not going to give you the advantage. Yeah. I've never been able to quantify this, but in late evening conversations at NRF and whatnot with retail execs, there's a pretty good sense that technology and retail is more expensive because of that. You don't see that in other verticals. You see different other operators in other verticals saying, Technology is non-differentiating. Let's figure out how to do it cheap and then we'll compete on our services or whatnot. You don't see that. You don't see that in retail. And that's, that's a real problem. And that needs to change because it makes everything more expensive, harder to do. You're not giving people the credit for doing cool things. And it just mucks up our whole industry. I think that's changing. I hope, I hope, and I'm, I'm doing everything I possibly can to, to brag on retailers that want to speak publicly. <laughs> challenge when I, where we possibly can, but that has to change. We'll just, we'll continually be just training executives for other industries because they just get frustrated with ours and yeah. that's where we need to go. And I think that's where we're, we're finally starting to do that. And if, 
if that's something that comes out of, out of COVID, well, that's one good thing in the sea of horribleness. Yeah, absolutely. Promoting that collaborative aspect and, and recognizing the accomplishments openly and publicly, I, I think are key, key factors for that. So Jeff, why don't we talk about some different specific types and kinds of technologies and where we think they're headed and, and the impact on innovation. You recently have done on your podcast, some discussions around AI and where AI is going. Traditionally, I, I would say up until the pandemic, I, I would claim the majority of the AI discussion I always heard kind of centered around areas tied to supply chain optimization, maybe around forecast and, and obviously, you know, predictive capabilities there. What's your thought on where AI is going to go next in, in retail? So when you, when you start looking at forecasts for AI spend, I mean, it, they're just unbelievable. They're massively large numbers. And so if you talk to the folks in the space, they're working with AI. There's, there's literally nowhere it's not going. We just did a pod where we talked about safety or, or AI and loss prevention, helping to, which it's good and bad because there's a lot of risk there because we talked about the bias in AI, but as far as assessing risk, looking for guns, knives, whatnot, you know, facial recognition, all that sort of stuff is, is pretty interesting and, and to be honest, a little scary. It's certainly going, and, and then by the way, you add voice on top of that also. And so there's sorry, some startups where we're analyzing the intensity of a voice call. So it'll help our client services folks. And then probably it's only a matter of time before we're probably putting mics on the retail floor to, to sense how, how things are going, which also might be a little scary. There's really, there's nowhere that it's not going to go, Ricardo. That's what's so transformative mm -hmm. yeah. about this. Yeah. There's just so, so much potential and where it can go. One of my favorite customer facing examples that I often talk about with a number of uh, retail tech providers is in how we can improve all of these various uh, product recommendation engines that are out there. I mean, I, I've lost count how many times I see online people joking about the latest crazy recommendation they got for an unrelated product when they went to Amazon. And, and it's not just unique to Amazon, right? This happens on plenty of e-commerce sites where you get uh, strange recommendations that you look at them and say, well, that has absolutely no relevance to me. I think of in apparel specifically, I've often talked about examples where I'm waiting for the retailer who's going to add a capability in their app to help keep track of everything that's in my closet and not just determine how to put things together, but how I can put things together that I already own with things that they're selling or new products that they have coming in so that you can even pre-order them and have the AI do more intelligent recommendations that way. Because this is something I know can be done with the technologies today. And there are at least a couple of uh, tech providers I know that are, are, are building this now. Uh, so I'm still waiting for which retailer is going to do that first. Because I think there's lots of potential for that, especially if you, you think about that in terms of a customer loyalty app and things you can enhance the relationship that way, particularly around pre-orders and other related things you can do uh, that just makes the, the relationship better. Because now you'll associate those life improvements around fashion and style in your, in your wardrobe with that retail brand. And I, I tend to think of this as one of the things, and people ask the question, why do people like to buy Apple iPhones? And you, you always see Apple leaning towards discussions around how it makes your life better. It has nothing to do with the individual features, right? It has nothing to do with the individual technology. It's how does it make your everyday better by having this device? And that's what they build on. I, I think that AI is one of those technologies that will help retailers do something very similar. Because if you think about it, I would claim that everyone has a handful of retail brands that are much more deeply tied to their everyday lives and even their smartphone device because of it's who they go to to get a number of different products and services. But you probably don't think of them that way because it's just transactional to you. 
And I think AI is one of those foundational uh, innovation tools that retailers are going to use to change that brand relationship. Yeah, 100%. You can point to some really interesting examples that Ulta and I believe also Sephora are doing around magic mirrors that are smart enough to analyze skin tones, which mm, is mm-hmm. um, right. not, not being a user of that product, I, I don't totally understand, but the technology behind it is fascinating. So you can easily point out to some really interesting early examples and I guess the nice thing about being an analyst is I can look at a trajectory and say, I can tell the mistakes and yeah, they're funny and I laugh, ha ha, but I don't care. As long as we're experimenting, as long as we're pushing all forward, as long as that's your trajectory and I see value, it's all good. Yep, I absolutely agree. Let me take this uh, opportunity to uh, bring Casey into the discussion. Welcome, Casey. Thanks for, for making it today. Hi. It's an exciting time. There's been a lot of news happening lately, a lot of uh, exciting things happening in retail these days. So one thing I want to bring you into right, right off the start. So uh, Jeff and I have been talking before about level of, of spend towards uh, digital transformation, innovation, and, and how spend was shifting uh, from based on a need that there's less requirement to spend as much on infrastructure and that frees up the ability to spend on more innovation. And that led us to a point about where uh, startups are being leveraged by retailers. And one thing that we, we sort of touched on, but didn't go in deeper. And I know you have some interesting thoughts around this, and that's how startups are getting the funding they need in retail tech and how they're able to get those first few customers to drive the kind of innovation that, that we're all talking about here. And Jeff had brought up an interesting point about how now we have retailers who are starting to invest in these companies because they see the potential in the technology and the solution. And that's one new avenue that wasn't there before. But I wanted to kind of get your take on on what you see in the, in the retail tech landscape around new innovative technologies and where you think retail tech uh, providers are getting the, the funding they need and it's going to help them complete these solutions and get them in front of retailers between now and 2025. Yeah, well, retail tech has always been a difficult conversation to have with Silicon Valley, but I have to say that it's definitely improving and it's now at the forefront. The next unicorns, I firmly believe, will be a group of five to probably five to 10 retail tech companies because that's just where the most growth is because of digital transformation. And this is the first time that retailers have put it as the primary budget and initiative that's moving forward. If you would have talked to me like two days ago, I probably would have had something else to say. But I mean, I've just gotten off the phone with a lot of different investment funds that absolutely surprised me on their interest in acumen in the retail space over that has improved over the last 12 months. So it's getting very interesting. Having brands and companies invest in a tech startup does create some difficulties as far as having a brand use a piece of software that a competitor's invested in and information rates. And then also just having that entity as an owner. There are people that are moving off of customer just because Facebook acquired it, right? So does brand A want to spend their money with a piece of software that brand B is is making money off the back end of? Going to be interesting on how you play those strategic relationships. Personally, I'm staying away from corporate investment, but I do know some other people that have taken it from like a, a Farfetch or an LVMH or, or some sort. It does open yourself up if you're looking to be acquired. If that's your goal, definitely sets you up for that. So I think it'll definitely be an interesting space. I think 
retail tech companies will get funded in the next 24 months. There's a lot of people that have sophisticated software in market that has just been stuck in long sales cycles. So it's not that these are, there's a lot of new companies where you're feeling like you're putting an MVP onto your, into your company. There's a lot of established and, and mature software out there that can support enterprise accounts and can implement and, and move forward. But I'm actually bullish for the first time since I've started my startup. Yeah, the retail that. consultants that I feel that have the greatest opportunity to implement technology because they're known. They have relationships. They understand the technical requirements and they can dig under the hood. And they've seen a lot of different pieces of software and can easily look at apples versus oranges and get into the technical details and the implementation details to really define if you sign this contract, this is what you're getting into. And I think that retail consultants right now should be leveraged by every single brand and startup to be able to connect those dots. And it's worked really well for me. And I trust the retail consultants because that's their business, right? Their business is to be that go-between person and make sure that the implementations are successful. That's what they built their reputation on. That's an excellent sure. point. Yeah. In fact, we were talking earlier about the improving situation in retail around collaboration. I think you just brought up an excellent example of leveraging the consultants and other, uh, you know, let's call it third-party experts that have mm -hmm. good, useful, tangible knowledge that they're Trust trying the to share, right? Yeah, yeah. Exactly. advisors exactly. can dig under the hood and have those technical conversations where you're not necessarily talking to a CTO. You're talking to somebody that has reviewed 25 platforms in detail and understands the entire supply chain across, you know, right. 25 different types of brands and, and organizations and right. understands right. who everybody actually is. There's a lot of vaporware. Yeah. Around. Yeah. And you need, you need, yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. Famous for vaporware. <laughs> yeah. You, you, you do often need as a retailer help with someone to help you kind of cut through the clutter, right. And get yeah. through all the noise that's out there, which admittedly plenty of, of tech vendors out there help generate, but with good intentions, but it's there and, and mm -hmm. everyone could use some help in leveraging that. And I think that's one area where, where absolutely the collaboration should continue to improve. And, and if I were to make, turn that into a, a 2025 prediction, I'd say we're going to see more and more consultants and trusted advisors, you know, you choose your label on what you want to call it, but I'll, I'll call them these independent experts, so to speak, or, or, or neutral parties that can help bring the technology providers, the retailers, et cetera, everybody else together in, in a meaningful way that adds value, whether it's through direct relationship and networking, or because you have access to a platform. It could be a platform in an academic institution. It could be an industry association, but I think all of those areas are going to increase their type of influence for the better of the, of the industry. And I think that that's, yeah. that's going to be the key indicator is if you're not investing in software and technology and, and thinking about retail a little bit differently, there's going to be some, some giants that can fall and then there's opportunity for a lot of innovative growth in, in yeah ways that we maybe only dreamt of some some companies and brands are going to be able to move 10 years and another and some others will maybe fall fall back another five we could have some really surprising results if we get 
a lot more venture capital involved in retail technology, there could be some crazy results. Yeah, I, I think there's there's definitely some truth to that. And maybe a lot of it has to do with, like we were just saying, what do you define as retail when we talk about those kind of predictions and forecasts? And what are you calling digital transformation? You know, what, what's being included in those two definitions to come up with numbers like that. But I, I think your point is right, though, that we are going to see, you know, over the next few years, this is going to be a, a, almost a, a dividing factor, right? Those that are investing in these areas, uh, regardless of what the, the actual number is, but where the investment is going in this digital transformation, that's going to separate the leaders from the laggards, and it's going to separate the successful retailers from the ones that aren't going to survive. Yeah. I mean, I'm happy that I'm not working at a brand right now. I don't think I'd sleep <laughs> any, any, I probably wouldn't sleep any more than I do now, but it's different not sleeping for somebody else's company. <laughs> <laughs> there, there you go. There you go. There's a lot going on. There's a lot going on, I think, right now. Yeah, that, that's, that's absolutely true. It's in, interesting times. Yeah. I mean, it, 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 it speaks to corporate culture. Yep. It absolutely speaks to the culture. You know, I, I was in a conversation earlier today talking about what are the hurdles to tech adoption for a lot of retailers. It, that, that, that culture or mentality around how technology is used, it has to, has to come from the top down, right? To, to make sure that there is this favorable outlook on experimenting, which we talked about earlier, you know, this desire to, whether you call it fail fast, whether you call it iterating on a technology deployment. All of those things have to come together and it has to be brought into the DNA. If you're not an organization that's going to be willing to do those things, you're not going to be able to advance with technology. Yeah. That really sounds like an interesting room that we have to do or, yeah. or, yeah. or somebody needs to do. What's the, what's the organizational DNA to not be right. like you right. Cause then, or, I mean, it's, it's known, we know, I, yeah. I know exactly what it is, but I don't think, I don't think I've necessarily really seen it put to yeah, put kind of spelled out. Yeah. Yeah. You know, organically spelled out. And, and how do you change, right? If you are a legacy retailer, how do you make that change? How do you make that mind shift change other than you're bringing in a new CEO? <laughs> I don't want to say it. They do. They both have to walk. They either change or walk. Yeah. I mean, there's just no way around it. Yep. Absolutely. Absolutely true. There are answers and some of them are hard, tough answers, but they are out there <laughs> for those legacy organizations. All right. Well, I'm going to take this moment to uh, thank everyone for joining us today. I think this was a great discussion around digital transformation and innovation in the future of retail. Uh, I'm, I'm sure we could go on for another hour uh, and we may do a, a follow-up session to this one because I, I'm already thinking of other areas just apart from the culture question that we just hit on that we could talk about, you know, that would really give us some, some room to discuss where, where things are going with retail tech in the future. So uh, Jeff, Casey, any final closing thoughts from you? Well, thanks, Ricardo. I apologies for being, being late. I know I missed a lot of good conversation, but thank you as always for including me into the conversation and I hope everybody has a really good weekend. Yeah, and thank you, Casey, for joining us. Jeff, thank you for another stimulating discussion on a topic that's near and dear to all of our hearts in this industry. Any final thoughts from you? Just, you know, it's, there's just no question that retailers have to be serious about, about the next four or five years. I mean, I will never, ever use the apocalypse term, but there is going to be a thinning of the herd. There is no doubt about it. And I'll echo that sentiment that, again, without using the, the A word, as, as Jeff pointed out, I think that as a retailer, you have to be thinking about and committing to how you're going to invest in retail tech to move your business further over the next few years. Because the, the bottom line answer is, if you don't, one of your competitors will, and you won't be around to see them. I think that's the sort of the shocking 
conclusion that everyone has to come to. And it's not because of any sort of apocalyptic situation. It's just because that's the nature of the business. And if you don't follow along and on that path, then, you know, it, you're, the path you will end up on is going to be pretty clear if you don't make the appropriate investments. And I think going back to something Casey said earlier with the industry experts and consultants that are out there, there is an army of people to really help you make those decisions and those choices. And I would even go so far as to say there are a number of folks here in the audience right now who are in that same situation looking to help people in the industry make these choices. Because at the end of the day, the fact is we're all consumers, right? So we all, from that point of view, need retailers to succeed to some level. So again, I think the final closing thought here from all of us that we all agree on is uh, the future for retail is in digital transformation and innovation. And if you're not investing in that, you're probably not going to be part of the conversation in the future. But if you are, then more power to you. And we all look forward to seeing what great things you're going to come up with as a retailer. And on that note, I think we'll close this room out. And I want to thank everybody for joining us and hope to you come back next week and join us for another interesting Retail Tech Predictions 2025 discussion. Thanks, everyone. Have a great weekend. Thanks, everyone. Welcome back, everybody. I hope our listeners enjoyed that deep dive into digital transformation and innovation retail as much as we did. Now, unlike our last few episodes, I'm sure our listeners enjoyed that it didn't go over an hour. Yeah, I think the, the one bit of feedback we're definitely not getting on the show so far is that our episodes need to be longer. <laughs> <laughs> so, Ricardo, I think there were five key points in that discussion to take away. One, how startups are factoring into digital transformation initiatives. Two, how successful innovation culture starts at the executive level with the C-suite team. Third, digital transformation leads to a big shift in IT spend, moving more and more towards innovation versus just keeping the existing systems up and updated, leading to more experiential moments. I don't think we can deny that AI is leading the way and in innovating in pretty much every area of retail right now. And finally, the important value of industry experts and consultants guiding retailers on this transformation journey, really getting that outside viewpoint. Yeah, I, I agree. I think those really are the top takeaways. Let's take the first one. We talked a little bit in the session about uh, the startup community, and this has come up in some of our previous sessions too, when we talked about uh, role academia has uh, retail. We, we had a little bit of discussion there about how they're a great neutral ground to bring startups into the ecosystem. But if we just think about how many retail tech startups there are now, and you've obviously got some expertise in this area, and you know it, it makes such a difference um, introducing retailers to new ideas and new ways of doing things. I think so many retailers, especially, let's face it, the ones that have been around the longest, we always like to talk about legacy retailers. Some have really struggled in that area because their organizations are so siloed, or it's just not inherent in their culture to think about things in the same way that a startup does. And so bringing startups in to help with that makes a huge, huge difference. And I think there are some retailers that have been doing an amazing job of this. Um, and you look, for example, at Tilta Beauty, right? They, they're even going as far as investing in some retail tech startups to help with that. Nike, I think, has done the same thing. They've gone even further than that and acquired some of those startup companies so they can really gain the technology. But I think if we were to make the short list of the really successful retailers coming out of the pandemic, it's the ones who really embrace that startup culture. I agree. And a lot of that just comes from understanding that retail tech startups are just fundamentally built differently. 
they're very software first. They're focused on solving a problem, not necessarily professional services and co-building so much as we understand the problem and we are going to spend a year digging into actually solving the problem and building software that works, which is just right out of the box, which is just fundamentally different than historically how retail technology companies make money and run. Yeah, that's so true. You could even say it helps with that entire culture around experimentation and the need to to be willing to take the risks on experimenting on new things and accepting that not all of them are going to work. And that's okay, as long as you quickly recover from that and move on to the next thing. Uh, I think that also relates to, maybe this is part of that second takeaway you mentioned about uh, innovation culture starting at the top. If management and the executive team can't accept that it's okay to fail on some of these things when you're experimenting, if they can't accept that it's okay to get ideas from outside organizations, then you're really going to put a crimp on that innovation culture. And it's really going to be tough for anybody in these individual teams to really get their ideas across. Yeah. I mean, nobody wants to get someone else fired. And really making sure like when those startups go in or these innovation programs, so much is built around success and defining what success is. And everybody wants that, that project to be successful, but uh, really about changing the way that they look at measuring. It's great experiences may not be rolled out through the entire organization. It might just be this, this small moment in one location and most of the population may not even see it before that's rolled out. Yeah, that's so true. Absolutely. Like we said in the main discussion, it has to start at the top. You have to have leaders in the executive team that embrace this whole process and the whole idea of how innovation should work. And they really need to lead that way. And and if they do, then all the teams will follow because what I think a lot of retailers miss is that they've got people who have great ideas, whether it's Mm -hmm. internal or whether they identified a startup to work with from our first takeaway. They know they have ideas. They know what they want to try. And the key is letting them try. Now, I think this also ties into that third point you mentioned about the IT budgets and where that IT spend is going. We've talked before about how spend overall at the retailer isn't always even coming from the IT group now. There are other business functional areas that are spending on technology because it's so pervasive. But IT traditionally in retailers has been focused on either building up the right infrastructure. And we're not saying that that's the wrong thing to do, but what we're really identifying here is that the more successful retailers have acknowledged that while they got to keep doing that and sure they have to spend some money on keeping things up and running upgrades and so forth there's got to be some budget reserve for all of these new experimental innovative things that other teams are going to bring in and that may mean more it spend and i think the trend is there seen it in last year we're seeing it this year i've seen more it spend increases than i've ever seen before retailers. It was traditionally an industry that doesn't like to do that much incremental increase in IT budget year over year. But I think uh, over the years, whether it's being scared that Amazon's going to enter your product category and steal a lot of share, or whether it's just awakening that if you're going to be competitive, you've got to spend more on the right kind of technology used the right way. It's not just about bringing technology in, right? It's in how you use it and where you put it. Yeah. And it's expensive. You know, this is this has been a constant for brands to spend money and budget significant amount of their annual sales to reinvest into digital and innovation, period. These are the biggest yeah. budgets we've ever yeah. seen. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And and one of those ways, uh, the fourth thing you mentioned is how pervasive AI 
technologies have become now. We, we used to hear about this primarily in areas like in forecasting and supply chain and a lot of operational areas. But now, really, we can point to AI use cases in just about every corner of, of the retail business, whether it's customer facing, associate facing, whether it's internal on the back end and front of house, wherever it may be, we're, we're just seeing it everywhere. And I, I think that really has pushed a lot of new experimentation, a lot of new innovation. And we, you know, we might even be able to say that's led the way in part to what's allowed for an increase in that IT budget spend. Yeah, you got to prove it. And exactly. hardest things to be able to do to get a lot of these projects budgeted is to prove that there's some type of bottom line bonus. Our, some type of ROI really helped validate some of these projects that people want to work on. Yeah, I think that absolutely, no, no doubt about that. And, and this ties into the last point you mentioned that to validate that you're doing this the right way. Well, what better way to do that than by learning from others? And what I feel is a strong growth mindset for a lot of retailers that recognize that they don't have to have all the answers internally. Not only is it okay to bring in those startups that are doing innovative, uh, interesting new things, but it's okay to rely on industry experts and consultants who are getting as much experience as you may as a retailer, but they're seeing it across multiple retailers. They're being brought in across brands in, in multiple areas. They can share those learnings. You're, you're bringing those experts in because they've seen things you haven't and you want to benefit from that. So it's, it's basically taking what others built and building on that to your advantage. And I think historically retailers have considered that uh, a competitive disadvantage, uh, but I think that was to their disadvantage, in fact, competing on whether or not you use a technology that your competitive brand does not use. You're really competing on how you use it and what the impact that technology has on your operations and your customer experience. And, and once you understand that, you also then understand that it's okay to collaborate, it's okay to learn from others, and therefore it's okay to bring in those outside experts to let them share their experience with you. 100%. I mean, I have been continually impressed by the pulse that consultants have on the tech space right now in what everybody's doing. They understand how clients are using it, working with these vendors and pushing them to really find these innovative solutions that kind of push the boundaries because any retail consultant um, who we know has been in this business for over a decade. They've seen it all. They know how we really work. So having these consultants just kind of dig in, they know what's going to get the job done and what, what has gaps. And I just think it's very, very important to lean on them because they're following what everyone is doing. That is their business. And they'll be able to come up with solutions that fit a, a business or a category yeah, 100%. I think that that's so true. And one of the, the, the good things I think we're seeing is just, just as you said, more and more retailers are recognizing that that's a helpful way to go and it's the right way to go. And I think the industry is recognizing that. A quick shout out to the team at Rethink Retail for doing a great job collecting a list of who are all the top influencers. And when you look at that list, the number of consultants and other experts in there that retailers can rely on is pretty significant now. Okay, so I think on that note, it may be time to close out this episode of the show. It is that time. It is that time. So with that note, we will close this one out. Another one in the books. If you enjoyed our show, please consider giving us a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts. 
Remember to smash that subscribe button in your favorite podcast player so you don't miss a minute. Want to know more about what we talked about today? Take a look at the show notes for handy links and more deets. I'm your co-host, Casey Golden. And if you'd like to connect with us, follow us on Twitter at KCC Golden and Ricardo underscore Belmar, or find us on LinkedIn. Be sure and follow the show on Twitter at Retail Razor, on LinkedIn, and on our YouTube channel for video versions of each episode and the occasional bonus content. I'm your host, Ricardo Belmar. Thanks for joining us. And remember, there's never been a better time to be in retail if you cut through the clutter. Until next time, this is the Retail Razor Show.